Welcome to Counter Apologetics. Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing Jordan Peterson's God. So people often ask me, do you believe in God? Which I don't, I don't like that question. And the reason I don't like to answer it is because A, I don't like to be boxed in, and B, because I don't know what the person means by believe or God. And the probability that they construe belief and construe God the same way I do is virtually zero. So it's, it's a question that doesn't work for me on multiple levels of analysis. Jordan Peterson is many things to many people, but one thing he happens to be is a passionate opponent of atheism and defender of Christianity, claiming that atheism is destructive and that we need religion for civilization to continue. Oddly enough, he doesn't really believe in God, at least not in any sense that the majority of theists would recognize. Peterson is attracting religious people to his audience, and he's not effectively communicating to them that he doesn't believe what they think he believes. And let me apologize in advance, whenever I play clips of Peterson to back up my claim, they're usually like a minute long, and I'm doing this because I'm trying to parse out what he actually thinks and I want to back up whatever I'm saying, and I'm trying to avoid misrepresenting him or at least being accused of that, but also because he doesn't really give short or simple answers. What is a Christian, exactly? Who's a real Christian, and who gets to decide the criteria? Well, theology is totally a real discipline, and I'm sure if we give them enough time, they'll eventually figure it out. Well, hang on, let me just do a quick Google to make, make sure they haven't solved it. Refresh. And nope, no, they still haven't figured it out. So anyway, I'm sure theology is on the verge of a breakthrough there. But for our purposes, the only thing we can really do is just consider a few of the most common definitions of Christian and see if Jordan Peterson fits any of them, or if he holds any traditionally Christian beliefs. The version of Christianity that I'm most familiar with is one based on a sort of biblical literalism. The Bible is the perfect word of God, it's literally true, and it's inerrant. You got the scientific atheists on one end, and you got the religious fundamentalists on the other, and what they both agree on, whether they like it or not, is that there's so much power in the scientific method that it's difficult to dispute the validity of scientific facts. And they seem to exist in contradiction to the older archaic stories, if you also accept them as fact-based accounts. And if you're on the fundamentalist side, you say, well, we'll try to shoehorn science into this framework, and really that doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very well with the claims of evolution, for example. In fact, it works very badly. And that's a problem, because evolutionary theory is like, it's a killer theory, and it's, re it's, it's, it's really, really hard, and like, it's not a complete theory, and there's lots of things we don't know about evolution, but, you know, <laughs> trying to hand wave that away, that's, that's not going to work without dispensing with most of biology. So he accepts scientific facts and theories, which is to say that he doesn't believe the Bible is factually and historically accurate. And that's fine, not every Christian is a young earth creationist. However, according to poll data, roughly 40% of the overall U.S. population believes that the Earth is less than 10,000 years old and humans were created in their current form. Which I think is worth mentioning since it seems like so many people act as if it's just a tiny minority of Christians who take the Bible literally. Okay, so what about Peterson's belief in the teachings of Christ? 
I think it's fair to say that he accepts Jesus' teaching in some areas, but not others. But merely agreeing with some of the nice things Jesus said can't be enough to be called a Christian. By that definition, many Hindus are Christians. And if polytheists can be Christians, we've stretched the definition to the point of being meaningless. The same goes for Christian being a synonym for kind or good. Under that definition, an atheist, Raelian, Muslim, or anyone who's a nice person or agrees with a couple things Jesus taught is a Christian. So Peterson fits those two definitions, but again, so do Raelians and Hindus. Peterson does not accept everything Jesus taught by any means. Whatever the historical Jesus believed about himself, the Jesus in our gospel accounts repeatedly preached his own bodily resurrection. But Peterson doesn't affirm the literal resurrection of Christ. Okay, um, quick question, are you a Christian? I suppose the most straightforward answer to that is yes, although I think it's, it's, let's leave it at yes. Well, there's, I, I, I'm a bit dissatisfied with that because there are so many kinds of Christians, and well, I, I, I would never imagine that you were a very literal-minded Christian. Well, there, there, are, there are truths other than the literal that perhaps are more truthful than even literal truths. You know, there are many kinds of truth, and, and, and I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a postmodern way, actually. But the truths that govern behavior and the truths that emerge from facts are not the same truths. But you don't, do, you, do you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Literally. I find it, I cannot answer that question. And the reason is because... Okay, let me think about it for a minute, see if I can come up with a reasonable answer to that. Well, the first answer would be, it depends on what you mean by Jesus. A historical human being that existed. In a body. And in a body. In a body. And, yeah. and it was a physical body, and then it was on earth. Yes. That it was on earth, and that was literally, uh, was literally, um, uh, they came back to life after death. I would say that at the moment, I'm agnostic about that issue. You'd think that being a Christian would entail belief in the literal resurrection of Christ, but as you just heard, Peterson doesn't affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's agnostic. As the Apostle Paul said, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. Did his body resurrect? I don't know. I don't know. Jordan does try to say that he, quote, believes in the, quote, resurrection, and I'll try to shed some light on what he's saying in a moment, but he's very careful in choosing his words. He is not saying that he believes that Jesus' physical body ceased all biological function, and the biological function was restarted after 72 hours. And so, I want to know more about it. You know, this is one thing I admire about what you do, is that you do not give glib answers. I remember watching you in an interview, and it was an English, an older gentleman, I said, you know, Joel, do you believe in the resurrection? Mm. And you, I was probably a 25-second response because mm. I could see the, well, what do you mean by dead? What do you mean by resurrection? Are you trying to claim me for your own? Because I'm sure, yeah. well, well, he's a Baptist, he's yeah, a Mormon, yeah, he's whatever. Yeah, because um, yeah, one of the questions, one of the right responses to that is, what do you mean by that question and why are you asking it? Yeah. Right, because it's not just a straightforward question by any stretch of the imagination. It's the same thing that happens when people say, well, do you believe in God? It's like... 
Well, and with regards but, to the resurrection too, it's not even obvious what the Gospels mean by the resurrection. Like it's not like it's a straightforward story. You know, Christ comes back, but people don't really recognize him. Yeah. And he's sort of got his, his old body, but not quite because he's not recognizable. And then he appears to a lot of people, but then like the circumstances of, of what happens next are far from clear. And so there's this weird mingling in the Gospels themselves of the psychological and the symbolic and the literal. And mm -hmm. it's not, I mean, people have argued about what all that, what that story means mm -hmm. within the Christian camp for yeah. 2,000 years. So, <clears throat> and I've been talking... Jordan doesn't hold John views that Pastor. most Christians would consider essential. For one, he doesn't believe in a literal God, which again, I'm coming to. I'll try to explain what he does believe in, but it's a fact that he does not believe that a literal, supernatural, conscious being called God exists. He doesn't believe that this God consciously created the universe or consciously created humans in their current form, but he also doesn't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus or the factual accuracy of the Bible. To quote Stephen Woodford, For all intent and purposes, Peterson is an atheist who just so happens to personally find immense value in Christian myths slash archetypes. He, like Richard Dawkins, doesn't believe in the literal existence of a god, the literal resurrection of a humanoid called Jesus Christ, or that our consciousness will continue to exist after our literal death. If you can call such a person a Christian, then yes, Peterson is one. But arguably, so is Bertrand Russell. End quote. A lot of his fans are Christians, but they aren't the kind of Christian Jordan Peterson is. So when they talk about God or the resurrection or their immortality, they often mean it literally. Peterson doesn't, and he never bothers to clarify. Unless you are incredibly precise and specific with your language to the point of tedium, Peterson will answer metaphorically and pretend that you meant the question metaphorically. However, there are a couple ways to formulate the question that make it harder for him to wriggle out of it. All right, thank you. Uh, I guess this question's mostly for Jordan Peterson. Uh, just to hopefully enlighten a bit more what you mean by God, do you think that if all humanity were to cease to exist, does God still exist? I, I don't think I know how to answer that. I, there, it's just the situation is too hypothetical. I mean, I can take a crack at some of it, but there are lots of elements of being that would disappear if we disappeared. Now, and, and I, it isn't even obvious to what extent that's true, right? Because I don't really understand to what degree being itself is dependent on consciousness. Like the classic materialist enlightenment view, which I would say is basically a 19th century view, something like that, is that if all consciousness was extinguished, the material substrate of the universe would continue unchanged. But I don't really buy that as an argument because I think that the material substrate, I think that reality is some weird, I think that reality is an interaction between what we perceive of as the material substrate and consciousness itself. And so then when you destroy consciousness, you destroy reality. And what that leaves, I don't really understand. Because it doesn't have any temporality in any obvious sense. It doesn't have any size in any obvious sense without the introduction of an invisible observer. So lots vanishes without human consciousness and self-consciousness. I don't know how to answer the question, does God vanish? Because that brings us back into the same problem that I was talking about earlier, is that it's not exactly easy to understand what people are talking about when they say God. You know, because when you ask the question, would God disappear? There's an assumption there that whatever God is, is understandable and boxable. 
like a simple concept, like a chair, and that we both share the same conception. And, you know, there's endless warnings in, in deep religious literature against understanding, against assuming that you understand what that term means, or sometimes even for using the term. So that's the best I'm going to be able to do with that question. For the kind of Christian I was, that was an extremely straightforward question. The answer would have been, yes, of course, God would still exist whether or not we were here. In fact, that was the state of affairs before he created us. Hopefully it's clear by now that he's not exactly being straight with us, or at least that his conception of God is far from the norm. His denial of his atheism and insistence that he's a Christian fits into a much larger web of a worldview. A worldview that's internally coherent for the most part, but extremely bizarre and ad hoc. And I think he constructed some of this web in order to defend belief in God in a rational scientific age. And a critical part of Peterson's theology, one that's necessary to understand his God, is his concept of truth. True. Then you ask yourself, well, what do you mean by true? The only way I use the word truth is in a realist sense. Something is true if it corresponds to reality. If you want to say that something is true in the sense that it's beneficial to believe it, then the word I use for that is beneficial. But that's essentially what Peterson means when he says that something is true. He means that it's beneficial to act as if it were true. Or as he sometimes puts it, it's true if it serves life. The fundamental axiom that I'm playing with is something that was basically expressed by Nietzsche. And it's a definition of truth. And so I would say, if it doesn't serve life, it's not true. So Nietzsche said truth serves life. Okay, in some sense, that's a Darwinian idea. Okay, if it's true enough, so that if you act it out or hold it, that increases your chances of survival and reproduction over long spans of time, that's true. Jordan Peterson's version of truth has been dubbed metaphorical truth, as distinguished from literal truth. Literal truth is just the way things actually are, independent of the effects on life or unconscious observers. A belief is true if it corresponds to reality. A belief is metaphorically true if it benefits you to believe it. Or the benefits of acting as if it were true exceed the benefits of acting as if it weren't. And so uh, I have a category that I call literally false, metaphorically true. These are ideas that aren't true in the factual sense, but they are true enough that if you behave as if they were true, you come out ahead of where you would be if you behaved according to the fact that they're not true. So let me give you, um, uh, people say everything happens for a reason, right? Well, unless you're talking about physics as the reason, everything doesn't happen for a reason. However, if you are the kind of person who believes that everything happens for a reason, and then some terrible tragedy befalls you, you may be on the lookout. Well, what's the reason that this happened? Maybe it's supposed to open some opportunity. And you won't miss that opportunity the way somebody who was preoccupied with their misfortune would. So, I happen to think these categories are quite useful since both literal and metaphorical truths are real and interesting in their own respects. But it's important to be able to distinguish them and recognize their relation to one another, which Peterson does not. Jordan isn't viewing metaphorical truth as a helpful little addition to our concept of truth as I am. He thinks this is it. This is what we all mean by true, really. Or it's what we should mean if we think about it enough. He claims to believe that his version of pragmatic truth is more fundamental than literal truth. I mean, the claim I'm making is that scientific truth is nested inside moral truth. And moral truth is the final adjudicator. It sounds like we're, what you're saying is that truth is as much about action 
as it is about some sort of material, measurable, objective reality. No, I'm saying it's more about action. More about Oh, yes, yes. The f fundamentals of truth are, are those that guide action. And then the objective science is nested inside that. It has to be. Right. There's no way around that. So, on Jordan's view, the fundamentals of truth are those that serve life, and the objective science is nested inside that. And just to be clear, Darwinian truth, as Jordan uses the term, is synonymous with metaphorical truth and pragmatic truth, and the flip side of that is what we've been calling literal truth, or scientific truth, realist truth, or Newtonian truth, as Peterson sometimes calls it. And I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page as far as vocab is concerned. As far as I can tell, Peterson and whoever he's engaging with uses those terms interchangeably within their respective categories. And to be clear, Darwin himself didn't have this conception of truth. I think Jordan is calling it Darwinian truth because it's similar to the concept of something being adaptive. This is obviously an important, useful idea, but the notion that realism is nested inside pragmatism just doesn't make any sense. And I would accuse anyone who contends that it does make sense of being motivated by something other than an honest inquiry into the nature of truth. One problem with Peterson's view of the primacy of metaphorical truth is that it leads to logical inconsistencies. If all that matters is the benefit of believing it, two logically incompatible beliefs can both be true in the same way at the same time. Think about a belief that's metaphorically true but literally false. For the sake of argument, assume that belief in heaven improves the lives of humans in some way, but belief in reincarnation produces a similar beneficial effect. The Christian heaven and reincarnation cannot both be true. So a Christian could say, because I was a good person, when I die, my consciousness will continue uninterrupted and I'll fly into the clouds to see my grandma again. And then a Hindu could immediately reply, because I was a good person, when I die, I'll be reincarnated into a higher caste. Without any help from literal truth, we would have to say that it's possible that both are true, at the same time, in the same way. And consider the opposite case of something that's literally true but metaphorically false. Sam Harris imagined an example of this where a husband discovered his wife was cheating on him and was so distraught by this knowledge that he committed suicide. How are we supposed to parse this out using only metaphorical truth? You clearly have to have a conception of facts and truth that is possible to know that exceeds what anyone currently knows and exceeds any concern about whether it is useful or compatible with your own survival even to know these truths. Now, the claim about whether or not she's cheating on you is an intelligible claim. That's a claim that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you wind up killing yourself based on your reaction to this unhappy truth. If you then wound up killing yourself, we could say at the end of the day, well, it would be better if he hadn't known that. It would certainly be better if she hadn't done that. It would have been better if he had married a different woman. Surely we would want to say that. It might be a better if he would have paid attention to his damn marriage and to attribute the, sure. and to attribute the cause of his demise to the existence of the photographs. This is why I brought up Josh Green, is that investigations into this kind of morality always Frame it in Jordan, such a way that Jordan, you have to grant one thing here. There's one piece that doesn't get moved here. You cannot move the piece that because you killed yourself, it's not true that she was having an affair. That move is not open to you. If we take metaphorical truth to be superior, could the affair be true for the guy she's cheating with, but false for the husband she's cheating on? 
That would imply that something could be totally true for one person from their perspective, and totally false for another person from their perspective, even though they're talking about the same thing in reality, which at least sounds like we're beginning to tread on postmodern terrain. Literal truth doesn't lead to problems like this because we're just defining truth as whatever reality happens to be, with no value judgment and no thought about how this truth influences us. Literal truth also has the special feature of being able to explain why metaphorical truth works. If something serves life, you can use literal truth to understand why. There are certain things we shouldn't be doing because they're dangerous, but the utility or pragmatism of behaving in certain ways has to be distinguished from whether or not something is true. That's the only way to even make the claim that there are things that are literally true but don't conduce to our survival or flourishing. Metaphorical truth is a fine idea, but to care about it to the exclusion of literal truth, or assert that metaphorical truth is more true, leads to absurdities and logical train wrecks. I would add that if you're actually worried about postmodernism corrupting science and philosophy, the guy who mocks Enlightenment views and wants to undermine fundamental epistemology should maybe be on your radar. The real question is why on earth anyone would bother to do this? Why would someone define truth in this particular way? The reality is that Peterson only performs these mental gymnastics when it comes to religion and God. In every other area, he talks like a normal person who understands the primacy of literal truth, but when it comes to God, religion, and morality, he suddenly changes all the rules, and I believe he's doing it in order to, among other things, accommodate religious belief. You clearly have to have a conception of facts and truth that is possible to know that exceeds what anyone currently knows and exceeds any concern about whether it is useful or compatible with your own survival even to know these truths. Okay, well then I would say that I don't think that facts are necessarily true. <laughs> and I know that I'm gerrymandering the definition of truth, but I'm doing that on purpose because I'm trying to nest truth within a Darwinian framework, which I think is a moral framework. You're choosing following Nietzsche here, you're choosing to use the word true, you're choosing to freight it with some moral concerns that will make it very difficult for people to understand what you mean. A fact may be correct, but it's not true. Right. It seems to me this is, this is counterproductive, and you lose nothing by granting that the truth value of a proposition can be evaluated whether or not this is a fact worth knowing or whether or not it's dangerous to know? No, but that's the thing I don't agree with because the highest truths, let's put it that way, the highest truths are moral truths. So as the title suggests, this is part one and I'll be finishing up part two in a few days here and we'll be continuing with truth, morality, why he's doing this, and digging more into what God Jordan Peterson actually believes in. Hopefully this is beginning to come into focus but there's still plenty to talk about. And again, sorry for the clip heaviness of this episode, but as I mentioned, I don't want to be accused of misrepresenting. And if I just said that Jordan said things like facts aren't true, I wouldn't have been surprised if no one believed me or thought I must have been taking him out of context, so I thought it was necessary. I need to thank one of my earliest patrons, Sohan D'Souza, for increasing his patronage. Thank you, Sohan. And of course, let me thank my patron hall of fame, Peach Machine, Jesta, and Phil Stillwell. 
And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter, where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but that depends what you mean by if and what you mean by money and what you mean by Patreon, you can like us on Facebook, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll see you next time.